Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Morning. What's that all about? Michael Jordan. Huh? Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, David Robinson, Clyde the Glide, Drexler. I mean, come on. Imagine assembling a team of the greatest basketball players of all time, okay? This is what happened in the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. This is what the USA did. See, prior to that, the United States of America was not allowed to assemble professional basketball players to play in the Olympics. But what's interesting is since the beginning uh, of time when basketball was allowed into the Olympics, the USA had dominated the sport. They got gold medal every single year without NBA players, with only amateur players. But in 1984 and 1988, the United States got totally throttled, got totally beat up. Uh, United, uh, USSR won in 84, Yugoslavia won in 1988. In one of those years, the USA didn't even get into the medal rounds. They got totally beat up. So in 1989, FIBA made an important bit of legislation, and they said, okay, okay, now we're going to let the United States play professional basketball players. And play professional basketball players, they did. Uh, the USA put together what would be known as the Dream Team, and they absolutely stacked the team. Eleven of the 12 players who played on this team ended up in the Basketball Hall of Fame. Sports Illustrated referred to them as this. This is what they said. They said, arguably the most dominant squad ever assembled in any sport. I realize not everyone of you loves basketball as much as I do. (laughs) But you understand what I'm talking about in a moment. Dominate they did. The dream team, it actually beat every single team in that year by 44 points. Okay? They averaged scored 117 points every game. Their first game against Angola, they won on a 46-point run. Imagine playing against them. I remember back in 1992, watching them in the Olympics, watching them play. After a while, it wasn't even fun to watch. After a while, it's just like they're just doing layup drills. It was like college frat boys beating up on middle schoolers. They just were, were, like, were like bullies, okay? They absolutely dominated and destroyed every other team that they came up against. Now, I talk about this this morning because I want to I start with a question that's going to move us towards the text. And the question this morning is simply this. If you were to assemble a squad of players who would change the world, who would, who would turn the world upside down, who would you choose? What kind of people would you choose? I mean, are, maybe if you're like me, I, you, would, you would look for people who have a certain amount of influence, people who are intelligent, people with talent, right? People who are creative, people with grit, people who, who get stuff done, right? The, the, the people with maybe the greatest of skills you would assemble together because these would be the likely candidates who could change the world, who, who could turn the world upside down. If you're just joining us, we're, we're in the middle of this series. 
and the teaching series is called The King's Tale. And, and we've been walking through the story of Jesus, who we know as the King of Kings. And it's the story of Jesus through, through the Gospel of Luke, through the lens of Luke, the doctor. And, you know, if you've got notes, I get you to pull those out. Uh, they're in your bulletin today, and you can track along with us. But today, we're going to get a glimpse of the dream team that Jesus assembled to be with him. And so I'm just going to start right into the text, and you're going to get a picture of the people that Jesus had rallied around him to go out and to change the world. And here's what it says in Luke chapter 8 and verse 1. It says this, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. And these women were helping to support them out of their own means. And this is the word of God. Can we pray? Let's pray. Uh, God, thank you for your word that's living, that's active, that is your revealed heart and will for us, for all of mankind, humanity. And thank you for it. And thank you. Do you want to speak to us through it? And you want to speak to us this morning. And so, God, we pray that uh, you would do that. We open our hearts wide. open our minds to hear from you. And so nudge us, provoke us, challenge us, encourage us. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, now, let me, let me just quickly get you up to speed on what's happening here in, in, in the story. Uh, because you notice that in the text, it begins by saying, after this, right? So if it's saying after this, then there's something that went on before this, okay? So it, at this point in the Gospel of Luke, it's early in the ministry of Jesus. He's been touring throughout the region of Galilee. He's been performing miracles. He's been teaching about the kingdom of God. Uh, he's been calling men and women to come and to follow him, to, to be his disciples, to leave their old ways behind, their old world behind, and to start again, to begin again new in this coming kingdom movement that he's, that he's about. Uh, and, and after a brief time in Capernaum, uh, he stops over there for a little while, and he does some ministry in Capernaum. He then embarks on another preaching tour, a gospel preaching tour. And this is where we find ourselves right at the beginning in, in the text here uh, this morning. Um, and what we get this morning is a bit of a snapshot, a bit of a snapshot of the Jesus squad. This is the dream team that Jesus has kind of assembled to go along with him on his ministry tour. Now, I want to focus just in on one phrase this morning that describes this team. And, and I think it's a, it's a phrase that could easily be overlooked, but it's a powerful phrase that actually brings all of these verses together. It says in the text, you'll notice, that his entire team were with him. They were with him. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean that they were with him? Well, let me just quickly tell you what it doesn't mean. First of all, it doesn't mean that he simply agreed with him. They just thought, oh, the, the nod to God, I kind of agree with what Jesus is saying. Yeah, I'm, I'm with him. Uh, it didn't mean that they were just in proximity to Jesus, okay, geographically. In other words, they were along for the ride, okay? That term, with him, is actually very significant. It means that they were his followers. It means that they were the disciples of Jesus who were with him. Now, I'll, I'll, let me give you an example. If you read this in Mark 3 and verse 4, it talks about how Jesus called the 12. Notice the language he uses to talk about the calling of the 12. Here's what it says, Mark 3 and verse 4. Did it get pulled? 
let me just read it then. All right, I'll just read it. Uh, it says that he appointed 12, the 12 disciples, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. So, so this team, this, this squad, they were with Jesus, which means that they were his disciples. So they were, they were followers. They, were, they weren't, weren't just fans. They, they were willing to go with him wherever, whenever, and, and do whatever it was that he wanted them to do. They, they learned from him. They, they slept and ate with him, okay? They modeled their lives after Jesus completely. That's, that's what it means. They were fully, they were completely with him, with him. And I've tried to imagine you know, what would, been, what would it have been like to be with that original group of disciples? What would it have been like to journey with Jesus through Galilee uh, on, his, on his first gospel preaching tour? I, I think if I spent that much time with Jesus, that it would have radically changed me. Because here's the thing. It, you cannot be with Jesus and just be neutral. You, you cannot be with Jesus and, and somehow be unmoved. Jesus has this way of disrupting our lives. Jesus is a disruptor. Now today we're going to see what happens when people choose to be with Jesus. And as I go through the text, what I want to do is I want to pull out three discoveries about what happens when we are with Jesus, when, when we um, journey with him as disciples. Three discoveries. Here's the first discovery. Number one, with him is acceptance. With him is acceptance. It is an understatement to say that the people who Jesus gathered around him were very unusual choices for that time. Uh, Luke, if you read in the text, shows us there were two groups of people. Uh, on the one hand, there were the 12, and on the other hand, there were the women who journeyed with Jesus. Now, the 12 were, were men that Jesus would eventually um, lead, uh, allow to lead his future kingdom movement. He was, he was grooming them. He was nurturing them to be the apostles who would lead the church after Jesus had died, resurrected, and, and, and gone into heaven. So they probably wouldn't have been the first round draft picks of their day. Most of these men were, were laborers. Four of them were fishermen. Uh, one of them was a tax collector. He was an extortionist and a traitor. Uh, another one of the guys was a violent political activist. He was, he was a zealot. None of them were highly educated. None of them had any significant leadership experience whatsoever. Some of these guys had serious personality flaws. I mean, I mean Simon Peter, he had a temper. He actually told off Jesus, right? Uh, James and John were furied. One time they asked Jesus, hey, can we call down fire from heaven on this village and see people burned alive? Okay, Thomas, Thomas was overly cautious. Judas was a loner. And as we discover later in the story, he was... He was a thief, and he was a backstabber. The 12, as a group, typically misunderstood Jesus. They were plagued with fear and doubt. Uh, they, were, they fell asleep when Jesus told them to stay up praying, right? And ultimately, when Jesus was arrested, they all ran away. This was the dream team that Jesus had assembled to change the world. What is he up to? And then, of course, we read about the women. They also were with Jesus. And these women were his disciples. And for us, that might not seem like such a big deal. But in that day, it was scandalous. Scandalous. No rabbi had ever asked women to come and follow him. To come and be disciples. Rabbis did not teach women. Rabbis uh, typically treated women as inferior. 
And in fact, it was actually unheard of throughout the entire Greco-Roman world. It wasn't just a Jewish thing in Judea. It was a thing that was pervasive throughout the entire Roman Empire. Nobody, no, none of the great Greek philosophers or teachers took women under their wings and taught them. But Jesus was a different kind of rabbi. Jesus was, was continually pushing through barriers. And as we discover in the story of Jesus, Jesus elevated women. He included them in his discipleship community. He gave them opportunities to serve and to do ministry. You know, we can actually see this clearly betrayed. If you jump ahead in Luke, in Luke's gospel, in Luke's story, to Luke chapter 10, uh, you might be familiar with the story of Mary and Martha. You know that story? Right? Martha's running around the house, and she's getting things ready for dinner, and she's scurrying and hustling and bustling. And where was Mary in that story? Luke says that Mary was seated at the feet of Jesus, which was a very Jewish way to say that she was a disciple of Jesus. She was learning from Jesus. Jesus was teaching her. So Jesus broke all sorts of barriers in terms of welcoming certain people to become his disciples. And they were unusual choices in that day, even unusual choices in our day. And if we can learn anything from this story, it's that with Jesus, there is acceptance. There are no barriers for anybody to be part of Jesus' kingdom team. So for some reason, Jesus didn't choose the most qualified. He didn't choose the most intelligent or beautiful or, or skilled. He broke the barriers culturally of the people that who should and shouldn't be on his team. There were no tryouts for Team Jesus. In fact, it seemed... Uh, that all that you needed to be part of the Jesus squad was to have a willing and surrendered heart. That's it. He simply said, come and follow me. Come and follow me. Give your life to me. Follow me. There's no entrance exam. He's not going to check your resume. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. It doesn't matter what you've done. All are accepted. Come and follow me. So that's the, that's the first discovery. Here's the second discovery. The second discovery is this, is that with Jesus, there's restoration. With him, there's restoration. Uh, the text says that the women with Jesus had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. That's very interesting. In other words, what it's saying is, is that these women had experienced restoration through the work of Jesus. And one of these women was Mary Magdalene, um, or Mary Magda. Okay, Magdalene's not her last name. It's just actually where she's from. She's from the village of Magda. And the text says that, that Mary had seven demons come out of her. Now, I realize that for some of us here this morning, uh, the very idea of demons might be a little bit of a mind bender. Okay, it might seem like it's a little bit far-fetched. And, and, I, and I wish this morning I could take the time to address this. Unfortunately, I don't have the time. But I do promise that in a few weeks, we are going to dive into this a little bit more deeply, this idea of, of demon possession and the possibility of it and, and, all, and all of that. But let me just say this, that the Bible, as you read the Bible, it portrays a world behind our world. And in this world behind our world, there are spiritual forces at work, and they're very real. Um, some of them are good, some of them are malevolent. And what we discover in the story is that Mary Magdalene was a deeply troubled, she's a deeply lost and broken woman. And she was somehow tormented by dark forces. But one day, she encountered Jesus. And when she encountered Jesus, everything changed. Suddenly, her mind became clear. Suddenly, she had control over herself. She had control over her body. Jesus had fully liberated her, had set her free from these dark forces that, were, that had a control on her life. She experienced restoration with Jesus. 
But there's another woman in the story that's really, really interesting this morning. And, and, and I want to mention her, and that woman is Joanna. See, the text says that Joanna was the wife of Cusa. And Cusa was a manager in Herod's household. Well, who was Herod in that time? What? Herod, if, if you know, he was, the, he was actually the Roman ruler who governed Judea at that time. He wasn't, of course, the real king. He was a usurper king. He was an invader king. So the Romans had come in. They had conquered Israel. And after they conquered Israel, they had set up a, a, a ruler to rule over that part of Israel uh, on behalf of Rome. So, so Herod was an invader. Herod was a tyrant. And if you read the story, you discover that Herod actually imprisoned John the Baptist. Okay, So he wasn't a good guy. Uh, Herod, um, his wealth... Ultimately, it came through occupancy. His wealth came through taxation of God's people uh, and sometimes even through extortion. And yet, interestingly enough, in the story, Joanna, her husband Cusa, chose to work for Herod. And he's a Jewish man. That's a Jewish name. It was probably lucrative work, but ultimately the work that he was doing came with a cost because here's the cost. Both Joanna and Cusa would have been absolutely rejected by their people. They would have been viewed as tra traitors uh, to sold out their Jewish uh, countrymen. So he and his wife would have been scorned. Uh, he and his wife would have been rejected. People wouldn't walk on the same side of the street as them. Okay, they would have been treated as outcasts. They would have been pushed out of synagogue so they couldn't even worship publicly with the rest of the Jews. They would be treated as unclean. So they were absolutely outcast, cut off from their own people because of the choice that Cusa made to serve Herod. And that somewhere along the way, Joanna got sick. And so without any solution for her sickness and disease, you got to remember this is a day where there's no hospitals, there's no local clinics. You know, she had, not, she had no solution whatsoever. She heard about Jesus and she found Jesus. And when she met Jesus, Jesus healed her. But Jesus did more than that. Jesus actually gave her a second chance. Jesus welcomed her into his community of disciples. So Jesus restored her health, but he didn't just restore her health. Jesus restored her dignity, and Jesus ultimately restored for her community, her separation from the people of God. And that's what Jesus does. With Jesus, there is restoration. He doesn't just accept us, he, he restores us. But here's the third discovery, and it's the final discovery this morning. It's this, is that with him, with Jesus, there's purpose. There's purpose. See, they came to understand, each one of these disciples, that they had a part to play in building God's kingdom. They understood this. They understood that there's no greater purpose in this life, that the world and its desires ultimately will pass away, but the kingdom of God will live forever. And so they were caught up in it. They were caught up in this purpose of God, this opportunity to be part of something of eternal significance, something that would last forever, that would change men and women's hearts forever. So the twelve... If you know the story, as I said before, they would one day become the movers and the shakers in Jesus' new kingdom movement. So here you got, the, you got these average Joes doing their thing, and then three days later, they're used, being used by God to change the course of human history. Imagine that. You know, there's this, there's this, um, this well-known story from the days of the early church. Uh, you can read about it in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4. Um, Peter and John, you might know the story, they'd healed this crippled beggar uh, through the power of Jesus. And, and then when they healed this 
crippled beggar. Of course, everybody knew this crippled beggar. And after they'd healed him, a crowd gathered. And so they stood up and they proclaimed how this crippled beggar had gotten healed. And they talked about Jesus and they talked about his resurrection and how he changes lives and how he restores lives. And, and this caused quite a, quite a stir among the religious power brokers of that day. When they heard about it, they're like, what do we do about this? So they took uh, Peter and John and they locked him in jail overnight. And then the next morning, they, they brought them before them, the religious leaders, and he says, by what power, by what power did you heal this crippled beggar? And so Peter stood up, and, and I love what he said, and I just want to read the text for you from Acts chapter 4, verse 9. Here's what he said. He said, hey, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, and we are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, I love that, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. I mean, that was a ridiculously bold thing to say, whom you crucified. Because consider this, he's standing before the most powerful people in Judea at the time, and he's pointing his finger at them. That's bold. And he's saying it's through, through the power of Jesus that this man has been healed. But it gets even bolder because he says this in verse 12. Here's what he says. He says, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Ah, that's bold. I mean, he'd say that, drop that in today's economy of values and beliefs, and that's a bold statement. Okay, so it was even bolder back then. No other name, no other way to be saved. There's only one person who can save us all, and it's only through the name of Jesus that ultimately we can be saved and have favor with God. Bold, very bold. Now, I love this. I, I, notice how the religious leaders respond to what Peter says. Here's what it says, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had what? Had been with Jesus. With Jesus. How did unschooled, ordinary men, average Joes, become so courageous? How are they turning the world upside down? How are they uh, making uh, world history? They had been with Jesus. With Jesus. See, Jesus discipled these men. Jesus transformed these men. And, and at the end, Jesus, it says that Jesus breathed into them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit, and then Jesus ultimately sent them out on mission. This is what happens with Jesus. Jesus accepts us. Jesus restores us. But ultimately, Jesus gives us purpose in this world. But here's the best thing. Okay, the women who were his disciples, who were there, they also found purpose with him. You notice in the text it says that the, that the women were helping to support this gospel tour that they were on out of their own pockets. Now you got to keep in mind, I mean, this is the day and age that they're walking from village to village. Jesus and this group of about 20 plus people going from village to village preaching the gospel. They have no financial support, okay? Uh, they're not charging admission. They're not getting royalties from big books that they've sold, okay? How are they going to eat? How, how are they going to clothe themselves? What, uh, how are they going to purchase supplies for the journey? 
God used these women and their money to support the mission of Jesus. It is safe to assume that the mission of Jesus would have come to a grinding halt if it were not for the radical generosity of these women who were along for the journey. They had a significant purpose to play in the going forward of God's mission. But if you keep reading the Gospel of Luke, it's interesting. Because you begin to understand that they actually were given an even greater purpose beyond this. See, both Mary Magdalene and Joanna and the other women there, they were among the women who stood at a distance, watching the crucifixion of Jesus. You fast forward in Luke to Luke chapter 23 and verse 49. Here's what it says. It says, but all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee. Who was that? That's these women. Stood at a distance watching these things. What were they watching? They were watching Jesus' public humiliation. The, the beatings, the, the mockings. The, they heard his final death cry. They watched him breathe his last and ultimately die. These women were with him until the end. But they were also with him on that fateful Sunday morning, on the third day. If you flip over the page to Luke 24, it says that they, these women, they took spices to the tomb. They went there to prepare Jesus' body for his final burial. And when they arrived at the tomb that fateful morning, the, the stone was rolled back, and they found that the tomb was empty. And then, and then two angels appeared to them and spoke to them and said to them, hey, he's not here. Jesus has risen from the dead. He is alive just as he told you. He's alive just as he said. So what did they do? What did these women do when they had heard the news? Well, let's read about it. Luke chapter 24, verse 9 to 10. Here's what it says. It says, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. And who's there? Look at who's there. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna. Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. You know what? Luke, Luke didn't just throw these names in here by accident. He, in, he in, intentionally put the names in here so that they would be remembered to tell us the story of where they were and how far they had come. These women in the story were the very first evangelists. They were the first ones to proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ is not dead, but he is alive. Yet God, God not only restored their lives, okay? He not only accepted them, but he gave them purpose. He invited them to be part of his ultimate kingdom plan. I'm, I get so jazzed up about this, that, that their story and how God has changed them. Friends, here's the thing. With Jesus is acceptance. With Jesus is restoration. And with Jesus is purpose. And I think if there's a question that Jesus would ask us this morning, it's just simply this. Are you with me? Are you with me? Do you want to be accepted? Do you want restoration? And do you want purpose? This morning, do you know that you can receive his acceptance? You see, so many people live as if they're still trying to gain God's acceptance. That the, but the truth is that no matter how good you try to be, you will never be good enough. God is that perfect. God is that holy. 
And the good news of Jesus is that there is nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there is nothing you have ever done to make God love you less. And you might ask, well, hey, what, what, if, what if I give all my money away to the poor? Surely, surely God will love me more. No, no, I won't. But what if I go to North Korea? You know, I hear they're killing Christians in North Korea. You know, what if I go there and become like a missionary martyr? Will God love me more? No. No, he won't. You know, what if I, what if I go a single week without a single lustful thought? Surely, God will love me more. Nada. Uh-uh. What if I'm, you know, for just one day, I, I'm nice to my spouse and my children and I don't scream at them? <laughs> God will love me more, won't he? Well, your family might love you more, but not God. He won't love you more. God's acceptance of you is not based on your performance. It is based on the reality that Jesus Christ lived the perfect life that you never could, and he died as the perfect sacrifice for all your stupidity, all your failure, all your rebellion. And so the way into his acceptance is not in trying it is in trusting. Trusting that Jesus paid for your failure with his own life. Trusting that when God looks on your failure, he does not see your sin, but he, he sees Christ's perfection. Friends, the way into acceptance is through trusting, not through trying. Now, I could get really practical this morning uh, in asking this question, are you with Jesus? I think one of the ways that believers in Christ demonstrate that we have received Christ's acceptance is through baptism. That's what we do. But you know what? That's what baptism says. Baptism eventually say, essentially says to the whole world, hey, I am with Jesus. I believe that I, my old life has passed away. My new life has come. I am totally, completely accepted in Jesus that the finished work of the cross applies to my life. I'm cleansed. I'm forgiven. I've got a new life. I've got a new lease on life. I've got a new beginning. That's what baptism is. And, and maybe you're here this morning and you've experienced the acceptance of Christ, but let me ask you the question, have you been baptized? I want to encourage you to consider baptism. I think this is a milestone for you in your spiritual journey. Uh, there's, there's actually a baptism class coming up this coming week. Uh, you feel it, it, let us know. We would love to see you get baptized. But really, really practically, let me ask you that question. Have you considered baptism? Have you been baptized? Uh, maybe this is what God is prompting you to do. Do you know that, that you can experience Christ's restoration? You see, Jesus' grace doesn't stop at acceptance. Jesus' grace continues on so that we experience restoration. Jesus sees us where we are. He accepts us where we are. But he doesn't leave us just as we are. To be with Jesus means that we give him permission to work on our lives, to change us from the inside out. We like to say around here at Crosspoint, it's okay not to be okay, right? Because Jesus accepts us when we're not okay. But we also like to say around here at Crosspoint is, it's not okay to stay there. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to save us from the penalty of our sins. Yes, that is true. But the other good news of the gospel is that Jesus also came to save us from the power of sin at work in our lives. Grace isn't just a parachute to rescue us from our failure. Grace is the wind in our sails that causes us to rise. And the way that we experience the restoration of Jesus is the same way that we experience his acceptance. 
It is through surrender. It is through trust, by trusting in Jesus to save us every single day. And say, Jesus, would you change me from the inside out? And sadly, sadly, so many followers of Jesus stop at just being accepted. And they don't experience the power of restoration. And and they live their lives in, in this vicious cycle of making the same mistakes over and over again, weighed down by by guilt and shame, settling for the same cycle of fall, repent, repeat. Fall, repent, repeat. Fall, repent. It's a miserable way to live. It's a miserable way to live. And Jesus is the one who restores us, and he's the one who breaks the cycle of sin in our lives. You do not have to live this way. Friends, the good news this morning is that Jesus came to bring you restoration. What would that look like for you today? Maybe for you it's just to pick yourself up and to begin again, being accepted by him, and to begin the journey again. But Jesus would like to heal your brokenness. Jesus would like to set you free from destructive habits that you have in your life. Jesus would like to transform you so that you can enter into relationships whole and healed, bringing life. But to do that, you have to be with him. Maybe for you today, that's something that you need. Are you, are you willing to allow Jesus to do that work of restoration in your heart and your life? Because he'll do it. Do you want to go far? Jesus will take you as far as you're willing to go. Go far with Jesus. Be restored by him. And let me end with this. Have you stepped into his purpose for your life? Have you stepped into his purpose for your life? See, God, God invites each of us to join with him in his kingdom mission. And there's no greater purpose here on earth. You know, it's, it's funny. Our ultimate purpose in this life isn't even about us. The ultimate purpose in our life is, is actually beyond us. And it's about Jesus and it's about his kingdom. And ultimately, that's why you were created. And if you want to find peace and joy and happiness in this world, the way to find peace and joy and happiness in this world is not to seek happiness. If you seek happiness, you will never find happiness. Because happiness, there's so many studies that show this, is happiness is always a byproduct of something else at operation in our lives. And ultimate joy and happiness, the scripture teaches us, is to discover who we are and to live according to who we are. You were created in the image of God. You were fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And what that means is the image of God, the imago Dei within you, you're ultimately uh, designed to give glory to God, to reflect God back to the rest of the universe. That's what you were, you were meant to shine, but not shine with your own light, but shine with the light of God so that all the world can see it and then ultimately see God. That's what you were created for. You were created for glory and for God's glory. That is the purpose by which you were uh, given life. And that's the purpose why Jesus called you out of darkness into light. Is to restore the broken imago Dei that is in you and to bring it whole and ultimately to, to, to use your life in such a way that all the world sees God through you. What a great purpose that is. That's so much better than working at Starbucks as a barista. No offense, Starbucks people. It's better than any job in all the world. And I think God would ask each and every one of us, hey, are you stepping into the purpose for which I've called you? The purpose for which I've created you? That as you go about doing
doing your jobs, doing your work, raising family, living in your neighborhood, fixing flat tires, helping crying babies, whatever it is, doing, writing college exams, are you living with a higher purpose to reflect God to the rest of the world and to build his kingdom? And God has a specific purpose for each and every one of our lives. And he will take you as far as you are willing to go. And all he says is, will you just surrender and will you trust me? And that is the way forward. You know, at, as a church community, we're, we're entering into the fall, obviously. It's September. It's homecoming weekend. Um, we are excited about what God has for us collectively as a church community this coming year. It, we are so stoked about what is, what, is, what is up and coming. And we're so glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, I want to invite you, um, as, as one of your pastors, I want to invite you to step into the purposes God has for us as a church community. Uh, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, mind has not conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And we love God dearly. And we want to change the world as we know it, the world that's around us. You know, in your bulletin, there, there are opportunities for you to perhaps investigate and step into ways to be part of our, our larger purpose, um, some serving opportunities that we're looking at for this coming year. Uh, there is so much we want to do, but to do that, of course, we have to do it together, right? So I'm just going to ask you to prayerfully look at that. If you're not serving at Crosspoint, to say, hey, this is a way that perhaps I could jump in. And, uh, and so I would say, look at it, pray about it. And I'm, my hope is and my prayer is that God will nudge you and say, hey, this is a way that you can be part of building God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. We're excited for that. Hey, I'm going to invite the band. Um, but let me just say this this morning, and let me remind you, um, with him, with Jesus, is acceptance. Have you received his acceptance? With Jesus is restoration. Is there something in your life that needs restoring? Could you offer that to Jesus this morning? And of course, with him is purpose. It's purpose. Let's stand together. Um, there's some takeaway questions in your, in your bulletin. I encourage you to take those with you and, and to reflect on them and ponder them. And why don't we pray together? Father, uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us to be part of your dream team. And the reason we're on the team, we acknowledge, is not because of us, but it's because of Christ and all that he's done. And we reflect praise and glory back to you and thanks for that, for this great privilege of being part of that. And God, I want to pray this morning specifically for those who are struggling, who feel far off, um, who feel that they can't make their way back to you, I pray that the truth of the gospel would just flood their hearts this morning and they'd be willing to begin again and trust you. Thank you, Lord, that uh, your mercies are new every morning. Your faithfulness is great. And your promise is if we confess, you are faithful to forgive us and cleanse us. And I pray that for them this morning. Um, pray that for all of us, Lord. And so now, Lord, we just want to worship you and celebrate you. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.